Hello, listeners, and welcome to another edition of the On Tennis Podcast. This episode is airing from the Racket and Paddle Show in Orlando, Florida. And we are pleased to welcome our special guest, the president of Universal Tennis, Ann Worcester. Ann has had an illustrious career in the tennis industry, working with players, tournament sponsors, and governing bodies for over 30 years. She was the first female CEO of the Women's Tennis Association, in fact, the first woman to head any major pro sports organization of any kind. Later, she served as the tournament director of the Connecticut Open for 21 years. The WTA event was the best attended on the circuit. Most recently, as mentioned, Anne was named as the new president of Universal Tennis, a tennis tech company anchored by the Universal Tennis Rating, or UTR, system powered by Oracle. Welcome, Ann. We're thrilled to have you as our guest today on the On Tennis podcast. Uh, actually, On Tennis is doing a, a podcast series this year for women in tennis, and we can't think of a better person to kick it off than you. So thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Um, before we discuss UTR, which is one of the main things I want to talk about today, I'd love it if you could just give us, give our listeners, especially young women and girls, uh, a brief history of, of how, as a young woman, you found yourself in the tennis business and how you progressed through the ranks to become the CEO of the WTA and the tournament director of the Connecticut Open. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me, first of all. Um, I uh, played tennis all my life. My, uh, I come from a tennis family. My parents taught tennis as a second profession and as volunteers. And um, I was a very good high school player, but uh, when I went to college, I went to a D1 school, Duke University, and um, at best, I'd be, you know, last doubles. And so I decided um, not to play tennis at college. And instead, I uh, joined the Oktoberfest committee and started doing all kinds of event planning and event marketing and plays and concerts and movies and speakers. And so for four years, that really defined me. And uh, senior year, I was as confused as um, most seniors are. I was thinking about Wall Street um, and the Peace Corps and everything in between. And uh, this guy walked up to me on the quad and said, I know who you are, I know how active you are here at the Student Union. I think you'd be perfect for my father's company, IMG. Of course, I didn't know what IMG was, but that little, long, that little agency. Yeah. yeah. Long story short, um, I went off to Spain and worked as an au pair to improve my Spanish, came back and uh, nine months later had a chance reunion with uh, Todd McCormick, Mark McCormick's son. And I really was much more prepared to listen as to what IMG was all about. I applied for a job and the only opening in the whole company was in the racket sports division. So my first uh, job was answering the phones and taking ticket orders for a tennis tournament at Longwood Cricket Club in Boston for a men's clay court tournament in the summertime. Uh, I made $250 a week, US. Uh, no job security, no benefits, no nothing. Um, so uh, within a week though, I knew that I'd found my niche in life. I was combining my passion for tennis with my event marketing um, abilities and, and experience. And from there, I had really wonderful opportunities through IMG all up and down the eastern seaboard, including the now Miami Open. Then went back to Spain uh, with IMG. Had a fantastic experience with tennis legend Manolo Santana. Um, then I came back and worked with Virginia Slims when Virginia Slims was the global sponsor of the world. And so um, got to learn from the best in event marketing. 
and then got into the governance side, the Women's Tennis Council, and then the WTA, which is everything from scheduling, rules and regulations, code of conduct, marketing, public relations, a lot of administration of this large-scale international uh, women's sport, the number one sport for women in the world. So um, that was an amazing opportunity at a very young age, and somewhere in there I got married and uh, even had a baby, and it was not easy to be a working mom, needless to say, especially when your workday is pretty much 24-7 and global. Um, so when I um, became pregnant with my second child, I um, decided not to renew my contract at the WTA and um, had Victoria, my, my daughter, Tommy the older, he's my son. And then I had the chance to be a tournament director of just one tournament. So I went from 55 tournaments in 35 countries all year long to one tournament um, the week before the US Open. Um, following the Canadian Open, um, part of the U.S. Open series, as is the, the Canadian Open. And uh, everyone told me that we wouldn't get top players. It was going to be a really tough market. Really, Everybody was sort of doomsday. And we just proved everybody wrong. And it was an amazing 21-year run. And the USTA and others um, always held up the Connecticut Open as the leading example of a large-scale international sporting event that benefits community, that um, uses this healthy, active, positive sport um, to benefit community, but especially engagement around youth. We created a, a community tennis association, New Haven Youth Tennis and Education, combined it with wonderful programs at Yale, and to this day um, is now a thriving NJTL. Um, with after-school tennis education and mentoring programs, and I still sit on that board. Um, so anyway, it was an amazing 21 years, and uh, all good things must come to an end. Um, and the tournament was sold to China last February. And so I went through a major career transition, and here I am. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so um, just a couple of questions about, especially the Connecticut, because I remember that it, it we, we don't always get the U.S. television feed, but the Connecticut tournament was on for quite a number of times, and it was always one of my favorites because it was almost like the little engine that could. You guys got so much mileage out of what, you know, small venue and everything, and I was always really enamored with that event, and it seems to me that the women who played in it also were very supportive of, and, you know, I saw some pictures of you with some of the top players, and they seemed to genuinely want to be there. I mean, they could have been other tournaments and or taking that week off but they always seem to really support it we really had a tremendous amount of player loyalty and we worked very hard at making it the comfortable for the players provide for their other professional needs but also very comfortable and the calm before the storm so not only was it the same surface as the u.s open the same climate the same time zone um, you know, the same balls, all the same conditions as the U.S. Open, because the, the headline for player recruiting conversations was, this is the, the best way to prepare for the U.S. Open. And thankfully for us, the top women, many of the top women, prefer to play into form as opposed to practicing um, like the men do. So we had an average of five of the top 10 players in the world for 21 years. And many players, Caroline Wozniacki, Venus Williams, Petra Kvitova, 
many, many players came back five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And, um, you know, we, we also, uh, we treated them right. You know, they, um, New Haven is famous for um, award-winning international dining. And so the players ran around town with a passport and they got to eat for free in the best restaurants. Their entourage paid for their meal. So it was an economic driver for the restaurants in quiet time of summer because the students weren't back yet. So everybody was happy. I used to have um, players like, you know, see me at Wimbledon, and before they could even say hello to me, they'd say, are we getting the passport again this year, Anne? Like, yes, hi, how are you? <laughs> nice to see you, too. Um, I even had an agent once say, could, could I work a passport into the deal for me, too? No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we really tried to take good care of the players, and I think being a female tournament director, believe it or not, there were very few female tournament directors, even on the WTA tour. Stacey Allister, in her days, she, she was the Canadian Open. Um, we used to call ourselves the Girls of Summer. Um, you know, you'd go to these WTA uh, tournament director meetings and you'd, the, the room was full of men. Um, and then, of course, we had a combined ATP WTA tournament for six wonderful years with James Blake, our local hometown favorite, making a comeback and against all odds winning the tournament twice. Um, and I think I was the only female tournament director of a combined ATP WTA tournament in the world. So, um, yeah, even even the Canadian Open has two tournament directors, one in Toronto, one in Montreal. But uh, it's interesting. One of the things you mentioned is that the tournament was sold to, uh, I guess, a consortium or something in China. I guess some of the tournaments run that risk. I know it happened to, I think, uh, one on the West Coast a few years ago, the SAP, right? I mean, it was just bought by, I think that went to Tennessee, but the Tennessee sold it to someone else. Yes. But um, I think even the Canadian, well, I'm glad you called the Canadian Open, by the way. We, <laughs> us older folks remember it as the Canadian Open. It's now, the, of course, the Rogers, the Rogers Cup. Cup, but oh, gosh. I, I wish they still had the Canadian Open in the name myself, because it is the third oldest tournament in the world, actually. But um, that's my rant. But um, even a tournament like that, they're they're constantly now they want to put a roof on the stadium because you know the the risk is if they don't they may lose the tournament. So I mean that was really tough for for your tournament I know and I I know there's always that risk. There are standards of performance that are very high on both the WTA and the ATP, and it's it's prize money, it's hospitality, it's food, it's transportation. It's, you know, our, our stadium was 13,000 seats. It was built too big for, for tennis, to be honest. And so the upkeep of that year round was very expensive. And um, it was, you know, sometimes, you know, if, if we ever had tough budget years, that was the single biggest reason because of the upkeep. And it wasn't until five years ago that the state of Connecticut realized, oh, well, we built this thing 21 years ago, spent $20 million, and then we turned it over to um, a nonprofit foundation. And the tournament revenues have been funding maintenance all these years, but now it needs more. And so it wasn't until Governor um, Malloy, Dan Malloy, said, you know, he listened, you know, it's $20 million in economic impact, the marketing of the state around the world, year-round community outreach programs. And a tournament like that just makes a, a, a destination a more interesting place to live, work, and visit. So he and his administration saw the value. 
and basically um, made sure that the tournament um, stayed here for an extra five years and funded it and gave us much needed um, uh, capital to refurbish external and internally and really renovate the stadium so that it was um, up to the WTA standards. But it's very expensive to keep it going. It's not easy to find sponsorship. Um, and at the end of the day, even though our sponsorship dollars were very high compared to other tournaments in our level, we had extraordinary expenses. And so the financial model just didn't work. And Yale University was an amazing partner for many, many years, as was the city of New Haven and the state of Connecticut. Um, so we had a lot of very diverse, unique stakeholders come together with the private sector to keep it alive and thriving for 21 years. I'm very, very, very grateful for, yeah. for all those yeah. stakeholders. And you're very proud of it because it was a terrific event. It was a gem. I, I'm very proud of it, and I'm especially proud that the legacy lives on. You know, all the kids that went through our grassroots programs went on, many of whom went on to college for the first time in their families. Some of them um, earned college scholarships. Um, we raised money for breast cancer at Smilo Cancer Hospital. We honored the military. A lot of good came out of that tournament and, and good that will keep on going. So I'm very, very proud of that. And New Haven Youth Tennis and Education has been rebranded as New Heights, but it's still, um, it's, it's, being, it's being run in a very professional way and has a terrific um, uh, support system. Excellent. Well, you know what? Um, we could talk about the history of, of the game for a long time, but um, you've got a new challenge. Uh, you um, have recently been named the president of Universal Tennis and the UTR rating system in particular. So what attracted you to that challenge? You know, I really thought I was going to leave tennis and do something different and call it APW 3.0. Um, and I looked at opportunities in women's basketball, in golf, um, in the top sports marketing agencies of the world. I looked, you know, when you sell your tournament to China, everybody kind of knows you're available. So there was quite a few inbound calls. And I just really enjoyed the networking. And I, you know, would go meet with all kinds of, you know, very successful people in sports and, and entertainment marketing. And I'd say, I'm not here for a job. I'm just here for ideas. Um, and uh, all I really wanted to do was take the summer off for the first time in probably 25 years. And so along came Mark Leshley. And um, I don't know if you've ever met Mark Leshley, but he's probably the best salesperson in, in the world. And I just, I, you know, being in pro tennis, I didn't really know much about UTR because it's really most, most about grassroots tennis. And so the more I learned, the more I liked. And um, coming from a tennis family and making a you know 35 year career in all sides of tennis i hate an empty tennis court i can't stand seeing empty tennis courts so the more i learn the more i realize the only thing that's going to reverse this decline in participation is technology and the chance to join a, a, this amazing team in palo alto and all over the world um, and this digitally savvy company that can move really quickly and only one thing matters, the end user, the tennis player. Um, that was pretty attractive to me after wor working with and for governing bodies all my career. 
It was something very different. And basically, it was a chance to use 35 years of experience, but also get out of my comfort zone and have to learn a lot more about technology to grow the sport I love. So that's how Mark Leshley talked me into not only um, coming on as president, a, a role he created just for me, for which I'm very grateful, but he convinced me to start in May. <laughs> he goes, you can take a, a vacation, I promise. You know. Um, so uh, here I am, fast forward six months, and I'm really feeling like I've found my sea legs. Um, uh, I'm and just really proud of the product. You know, UT, the UTR is, um, you know, this accurate, the most accurate global rating in the world, and it's used by um, pre the world's premier ac academies and clubs and organizations and tournaments. Um, but the the universal tennis is anchored by UTR, which is powered by Oracle. But um, the since Mark acquired the company two years ago, we he really built this whole engagement platform, and now there's tools and technologies for high school players, for college players, for club players, the individual player, and there's a, a mobile app. Um, so it's all about creating. Um, a local tennis ecosystem around level-based play to make it easier to find um, level-based play anytime, anywhere. And you know the the, the mission of, of Universal Tennis is to make tennis more affordable, more accessible, and more fun uh, for everyone, regardless of your age, your gender, or your socioeconomic ba uh, background. And you know that. There's just, there's so many proof points to all that. I mean, we are hearing stories, especially now that um, UTR recognizes high school play. I mean, for so many years, at least in the United States, high school players feel disenfranchised. You know, sometimes they don't have the time and the money to go play competitive tournaments on the weekend. And, you know, I, I'm also a tennis parent, and my son would come to me and say, Mom, I want to play tournaments every weekend. Well, I was a working mom. I had two kids, two kids with special needs, you know, married, and I would negotiate. I'm like, you can play one a month, and that's all I can handle. Um, and then you go, you know, you dedicate three days, and sometimes you lose in the first round. Sometimes you win, you know, in a very lopsided way, you know, because it was all age, you know, age-based. So that wasn't a great experience. Um, so the more I learned about level-based play, I just loved it. And I, you know, when I... I, I really feel that UTR is democratizing tennis, as Martina Navratilova says, and equalizing tennis because the high school player who has to work at the convenience store on the weekends and can't travel to competitive tournaments now has a UTR, is therefore on the radar of college coaches, and even qualifies for a, a, a college scholarship. You know, the single mom reaches out, you know, reaches out to us and says, you know, we spent all of our the money that we had on on kid number one and making sure that we took you know him to competitive tournaments and he was able to play college tennis but for I had nothing left for kid number two I'm a single mom along comes kid number three and thankfully UTR recognizes high school play so um, uh, kid number three was able to get a scholarship so there's all these great anecdotes as to how UTR is helping real people normal people 
and uh, making tennis more accessible and affordable. And, you know, as it relates to fun, the experience is so much more positive. When you go play a tournament and you lose O and O, you, you know, there's no fun. I mean, when you look at the statistics, at least in this country, um, we, after, you know, after a, a, a kid plays in a competitive tournament, we typically lose like 40% of those, those kids, those players don't go on to their second. And if they do play a second, then we lose another 40%. There's a very small number of, of, of young players, junior players playing competitive tournaments because it's no fun. You're forced to play in the same age, age bracket against the same gender and the same kids. So we're trying to change all that. UTR is changing the sport of tennis around level-based play. And I've had the privilege of, of experiencing firsthand um, staggered entry draws and level-based play so that the fireman is playing the high school girl and the college guy is playing a middle-aged mom. And you know, they, you know, win or lose, everybody learns something. Um, and everybody brings something different to the table. And so it's a wonder, wonderful social skills experience as well, I've really noticed. Um, so there's, lo you know, there's, lots of, there's lots of great anecdotes. And we've we have amazing, amazing investors, Tennis Australia, Oracle, Roger Federer's Team 8, Novak Djokovic himself. Uh, we have partners like Rafael Nadal Academy, IMG Academy. So really, um, it's, you know, we're trusted by... Uh, I, our, I heard there's like 2,500 or 3,000 college coaches that use it as, as their main or a, a guide for, for analyzing players and that sort of thing. So right away, that piques the interest, at least in our province, of our, of our top juniors. They're like, I want a UTR rating right now, and I want yeah. to, you know, they're paying attention to it all the time, so it's really something. But That's what Lindsay Davenport, she says, you know, my son plays competitive tennis, and I can tell you they only talk about two things, video games and UTR. Too funny. <laughs> the technology, right? Um, so just for some of our listeners who maybe don't have a grasp of it, just the nuts and bolts. From what I understand, it's a 16-point scale. Yes. It's gender neutral, it, it, but it can, it, Yes. Almost every score you have will count towards it. And it is, it's not round-based, but rather exactly. so head to head. It's, it's, so. A, it's a rating um, from 1 to 16.5. So that's the very beginner all the way to Novak Djokovic. And so everyone has a measure. Everyone knows where they, you know, where they um, are on that curve. And the algorithm is based on three things. It's very different from the WTA or the ATP ranking, which is just win or lose and based on how far you go. So the algorithm is based on three things. The strength of your opponent, uh, the percentage of games that you win, and history. Uh, the, last, the last 30 matches that you've played, so there's some recency. Now when you see UTR um, data and insights on like a tennis channel here in the United States, for the pros, also, there's also a, th a trending UTR, which is how they've done in the last three months. So if somebody's on a hot streak, it, it reflects that. And there's also a surface-by-surface -surface UTR. So um, lots that's of how logarithms. the algorithm. <laughs> and the algorithm is updated every single day. Wow. Um, so if the algorithm, if you play a really tough player and the algorithm expects you to lose and you 
win or you come close to winning, your rating will go up. Um, so it's and does it affect the other people that you have played in the past? Your your result that day, does it have an impact on everybody else you've played as yes. well? Yes. So every day the algorithm updates everyone. So um, I'm told that kids at academies, you know, sit around like waiting for their you know Friday afternoon you know, uh, rating to come out because that's what seeds them in the tournaments for the next week. It's important for those kids, I mean, especially mm-hmm. ones that are on the scholarship hunt or even the ones that want to go pro. I mean, it, it's a it's a big deal for sure. Um, so the um, that that competitive side is great. But as I've talked to you before, um, the grassroots right down to our club level, I think that's where I've seen UTR really start to focus. I mean, at first it was about the college and pro level. And now I think I can see it spreading out to club and, and leagues and that sort of thing. And that's something that I think is really of interest to our market up in Ontario. So talk to a little bit about how you see it spreading down into, I shouldn't say down, but across the, yeah. you know, the grassroots sectors. Yeah, the clubs are critical because that is the number one way to reach players. And um, whether a club is a private club or a public club, you know, public courts, or whether it's a, a pay-to-play club. Every, the, what the clubs love about UTR is that it is the ability to run unlimited tournaments at a moment's notice. You don't have to sign up eight months in advance. Choose any flexible format you want. It can be fast four, three matches in three hours, round robin, compass, whatever suits your market. And third, you can charge whatever you like, whatever is appropriate for your market. So it, um, and it's also, it, it, you know, somebody said yesterday, Butch Staple from Midtown um, said who, they have eight, eight, eight um, racket clubs, um, fitness and racket clubs on, on the platform. They said, you know, it, it took all the administration, you, the players used to rely on us to, to match them up. Now they can just go on the digital community that we have and, and, and message each other and they know exactly where they measure up. And so it's allowed us to put all that time and energy into running more events. Um, and you know, we also see the advent of Pickleball. Well, put, what do people love about Pickleball? What, you know, so, uh, racket clubs are you know, sometimes running Pickleball events, but if you ask them what they love, they love the ability to run an event at a moment's notice, easy format, charge whatever you want. So you can say all those things about UTR. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. I've been sitting in quite a few of these meetings with clubs late, lately, and um, whether it's a private club or a public club or pay-to-play, um, everyone is attracted to the ability to run more events, um, especially because ad- there's adults might not care so much about um, competition, but they do care about level-based play and, and having fun. Um, so, so it, and it takes the decision-making out of the tennis pro's hand, um, and so the tennis pro doesn't have to get so much lobbying about, well, I should, I'm on the A-team. I've been on the A-team for 10 years, so i got to stay there. I could see that as a real benefit to people who run leagues and tournaments, for sure. There's just no argument. It's and, objective. And I know I know you've also added doubles recently, So, because a lot of our leagues in Ontario are doubles leagues. So um, I, I guess it's a combined total for the two players, and you match 
or how does do you know how that works? I think so. Yeah. So, I think so. Point is, you can get number you know team one versus the other team one. There's no mixing and matching and trying to you know fix the results. So that, I I think that's a and doubles benefit. is so social. So yeah, yeah, um, and um, the um, so so give me a, a rundown of just an example. Who's the top player? Djokovic, well, I guess Nadal is the number one male right now. What's his rating, his UTR rating, roughly? Uh, I, th- I, I, you know. 15 and a half or something like that? Oh, yeah. They're absolutely between 15, you know, 15.5 and 16.5, the top men. Right, okay. Yeah. And so then where would uh, Osaka be, in the 13s or something like that? Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to get a, get a sense of... Okay. Oh, okay, and where's Osaka? 13.37. And then what about a NCAA male, just any, you know, any guy? What, what's the range for those? Are they around 13 as well? So I, I'm just getting... I would say a college player is somewhere between 10 and 12. Okay, so even a D1 guy, okay. So, and on it goes right down to... We have a great chart that we can send you that okay. kind of gives us this... Um, sure. Like Brian, uh, she's someone who plays at Harvard. Yeah. Uh, he's 13.06. Okay. So, so he might, he and Osaka might have a good match, according to the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should suggest yeah. That. that. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so we have this um, this curve. Okay. And it, it correlates to, oh, yeah. okay. um, you know, collegiate men and women, pro men and women. So 13 to 16.5 is you know college men d1 pro men futures pro men atp pro women wta interesting nine to 12 is more collegiate d1 to d3 um and then we correlate it to um ntrp here in the united states right yeah we have our ntrp up in canada and it's it's all we have like largely and it's not a perfect system and i think this the metrics here are just so much more specific, and it's not a self-rating guide. This this is based on real results, so I think it's I think it's a real progression. Um, now, uh, what website should they go to to find out more about uh, UTR? And- so, um, myutr.com is the website, and anybody can either um, sign up for a profile or activate their already existing profile because they should absolutely check to see if they have one for free. And um, they can download our app. And as soon as they do that, they can um, find play, find events in their area, sign up for emails for upcoming events in their area. And on the app, you can even um, share photos and and videos just like you would on social media. Okay, so it's app-based. That's the way it's going for everything. So it makes a lot of sense. That's how consumers, um, you know, yeah, our our um, live their lives. Our tournament structure in Ontario, both adult and junior, are already feeding into UTR. So many of the the competitive players have that, and I think once it gets drilled down to the club level, where the club tournaments will start to count, I think that's really where it's going to be fascinating to see how the club level player they 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 know they're not as good as Djokovic or Osaka, but they maybe think they're pretty close to the, you know, the guys that are playing league and, and that sort of thing. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun in it. Uh, that competitive instinct, I think this will really, really play into people's, uh, you know, the fun of, of, of competing yes. and, and knowing yes. where you stand. You it's know? competitive, but it's fun. Yeah. 
and, and then there's a, there's a platform for the for clubs and leagues, obviously, to uh, as well as an individual to go and get their UTR. Yes, my UTR. there's Does a whole it, tournament management system right. that makes it really easy to create events. We have all kinds of best practices to share about what works in other clubs. So if a club tells us, you know, I want to fill courts, you know, such and such a time and X number of courts and I want to run more events for juniors. I want to run more events around um, adult social play. Um, our staff has great ideas, and um, you know, you can also share best practices. Yeah, and, and I think I recall talking that you can actually structure your your ongoing ladders at clubs to, to structure them sort of like a tournament, and all the results count even at a ladder yes, level. Yes, yes, I think is fantastic, and that's very appealing. Yeah, definitely, because yeah. there's a lot of people that are really intimidated about going into a sanctioned tournament, but yes. they're okay playing ladders and that sort of thing. So it's, it it really is about inclusion at the end of the and day. And it this really system. saves um, a lot of time on creating spreadsheets manually and all that administration time that can be turned into running more events and and increasing participation. That's what this is all about, is growing tennis and increasing participation around level-based play. Excellent. Now, um, five years from now, what, what's your vision? Um, I mean, you guys are moving so fast in so many directions. Um, where do you see UTR, in, or even in two years? Um, you know, right now, there's still probably a, a resistance at some levels because of the old NRTP ratings, but I think as you expose this to more people, you're getting more and more converse. So what, what do you see... Uh, happening to UTR? You know, we right now we have 1.2 or 3 million profiles on the platform. Like some, four, the algorithm is based on some, four, you know, one, 14 million ma um, match scores um, from 200 countries. I think our dream would be um, to have 100 million tennis players on our platform all over the world. And our dream would really be that we ha achieve that goal together with all the key stakeholders in the game, the ITF, Tennis Canada, USTA, French Federation, LTA, Tennis Australia is already on board. Um, you know, there is a lot of competition for the consumer's time and dollar. And um, I feel very strongly that the only way to grow tennis is for key stakeholders to work together and to collaborate and swim in the same direction. Well, you know what? Um, it's It's been a pleasure talking to you today, and we look forward to watching the growth of UTR uh, under your leadership. And um, come visit us again and tell us, uh, you know, the next update, the next great thing. Well, we're looking forward to partnering with Ten Tennis Ontario and bringing UTR um, throughout Ontario and Canada to work with you to grow tennis. Thanks very much.